Hello and welcome to WMQ&A, the official podcast of the WMQ Comics website. I'm your host, Dan Grote, and this is episode 25. 25! Wow! I, uh, I cannot believe I have done 25 of these on a weekly schedule, no less. So, uh, 25, I guess, uh, you know, in, in comics terms, makes this our foil-plated 25th issue spectacular, which is as good a time as any for a major announcement. Actually, a couple of major announcements. First off, uh, I'm going to be moderating another panel, a uh, fan debate at CapeCon, which is put on by the Cape May County Library at their Seattle City branch. It is Saturday, August 18th. Uh, I'll be there. The guys from Level Up Entertainment and Maze Landing will be there, as well as the guys from Nirvana Games and Comics in Egg Harbor Township. So if you're at the Jersey Shore on uh, August 18th and you want to support a local show, uh, as well as libraries in general, uh, please come check that out. Uh, Announcement number two, we are now on Patreon. Uh, If you like the content we've been bringing you both on WMQ&A and at WMQComics.com and would like to support it, you can do so at Patreon.com slash WMQComics and check out our tiers of support. At $2 a month, we'll shout out you and the link of your choice on our site. Uh, At $5 a month, we'll shout you out on our uh, podcast. At $20 a month, you can be a guest on the podcast. Uh, Again, go to Patreon.com slash WMQComics for more details. And uh, thank you for your support, for listening, for clicking, and for being a friend. Uh, Speaking of friends, uh, one of my very best friends is joining us for episode 25. It is Matt Lazowitz, here to talk about Teen Titans Go to the Movies, Batman, All Ages Books, Jeff Johns, The CW Shows, and much more. So we just got back from uh, the movies. We took my son, uh, Logan, to Teen Titans Go to the Movies. Um, He enjoyed it. Actually, I asked him if he, you know, wanted to share his thoughts, but, you know, he's he's seven. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. but he enjoyed it. So the target market enjoyed it, which is, is what's important. Uh, I kind of feel like this was a movie that was made for Logan and for me. The the sheer volume of DCU Easter eggs. I, I need to buy it on Blu-ray when it comes out and watch it at half speed to just pick up the sheer number of little inside jokes and I'm not, I don't want to spoil anything in case those of you who are listening haven't gotten to see the movie yet. But the sheer volume of Challengers of the Unknown jokes alone. Huh? Okay. All right. Uh, this, this, I sat with this and I'm willing to chalk this up to me overthinking. But in a movie that is clearly targeted toward children but kind of using the intellectual property of you know two or three generations that came before it you know is there too much in that movie that was clearly over their heads but kind of designed to get a rise out of you know their their parents let's let's start with the ch- the fact that challenger of the unknown was a presence in this movie that we're, we're talking about Jack Kirby-created characters from really before the Silver Age, or at the very, like, you know, dawn of the Silver Age, that only recently have gotten some fresh play in metal. Yeah, I'm trying to think the last time the Chals really showed up before metal. I mean, they were definitely, there was a, a Loeb's, the first Loeb sale miniseries they ever did together in the mid-80s, maybe late-80s, and a couple of cameos. that They did an amalgam back in the amalgam days. Challengers of the Fantastic. Fantastic. I remember that. Yeah, but other than that, I mean, I guess there have been, you know, cameos here and there, but yeah. That one is a deep cut. That, that was maybe the deepest cut in the movie, and the fact that it got so much play is odd especially because that isn't even appealing to most parents that's <laughs> you and me and a eighth of the population that would be and that's an extremely the large eighth of the comics reading population okay, yes yes <laughs> because i guarantee if we'd asked every other parent in that movie theater I doubt any of them would have had any idea who the Challengers of the Unknown yeah, were. Just five random people in lavender suits. <laughs> you know, and I, I think this is something we're seeing a lot of 
lately in terms of sort of the conversation online where they're taking these franchises and they're sort of rebooting them for a fresh audience, but also, and and Teen Titans Go certainly falls under this, you know, given the the versions that came, the animated versions that came before it, like your She-Ra's and your Thundercats and the sort of maelstroms of male-generated rage Ugh. that have circulated around these these versions of characters for which they are not the target market, but because their generation has a history for it, they feel that it should somehow look familiar to their version of things. And I'd really just kind of... You know, on the one hand, I'd rather these things just be for the kids for whom they're intended, but it's hard to even say that when it's so clearly treading on what's been done in the past. I mean, it's more than just animation. I mean, if you look at this upcoming season of television, we've got a new Magnum P.I., a new Charmed, the new Buffy that was announced at San Diego. These are all these sort of reinventions, and it's not a new thing, let's no, be fair. not by any stretch. I mean, Hawaii Five O lasted for how many seasons? The new version? Yeah, the new version. How many seasons? I, I don't know, seven or eight? <laughs> um... Really? I think. Wow. <laughs> but it's... The, it, nerd culture seems to take that as a personal affront. I don't think that the fans of not, the... Not all, not all of it. No, Let's, no. Yeah. <laughs> the, the less pleasant aspects of nerd culture Yeah. take it in the way that I don't think that the fans of Hawaii Five-0 or the fans of Mission Impossible, which we had what... The, the fifth or the sixth movie? Sixth. Sixth movie that came out this week. I mean, th- I'm sure there were fans that were cr- grumpy about it, but you'd wonder how many people who are going to see Mission Impossible 6 of a generation younger than us mm-hmm. even realize it was a TV show beforehand. And, I mean, why do they need to? They don't. I think that the new version of Thundercats, they... You might not need to know there was a previous version of Thundercats. Which was not that good. Yeah. I mean, guys, you know, we grew we grew up in the 80s. I, I remember these cartoons quite fondly. Thundercats was not in my top five. No. <laughs> I recently started watching some classic He-Man on Netflix. And mm. I look at it, it's like, you know, some of these stories aren't terrible. But the animation... Oh boy! Yeah. Oh boy, filmation. <laughs> you guys really like to recycle those frames. I mean, I mean that's that was a lot of animation back then. Oh, Hanna Barbera. Completely You know, just, just keep running past that same uh, end table <laughs> and lamp and door. Tom and Jerry. <laughs> Jinkies! Why do you think those running through those doors and hallways things worked so well in Scooby-Doo? Because you didn't need to animate the backgrounds, you just yeah. had the one hallway. Worked real well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I actually am kind of curious to see the new Thundercats and the new She-Ra. The, the, uh, in front of Teen Titans Go to the Movie, there was a new DC Superhero Girls short in the style not of the recent DC Superhero Girls movies, but the Super Best Friends Forever shorts they used to have on the DC Nation block that had Young Justice and Green Lantern, the animated series. And it's different, and I think that's fine. I mean, I, I like that DC is still trying to do these sort of different projects. And they're doing that all over the place. I mean, I would say that's like the main thing they're doing now is trying to hit every sort of age and gender demographic with all these different imprints. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're still waiting on Zoom and Ink. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's kind of a shame that it looks like Young Animals is wrapping up. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think if Gerard Way wants to come back with a different project or wants to do Doom Patrol again, I think DC will probably happily let him. Uh, I'm curious to see where they go next. I'm hoping for some more Johnny DC, some more of that real all-ages stuff, Mm because right now it's really just Scooby-Doo, Scooby-Doo Team-Up, and Teen Titans Go. Maybe we'll get some Young Justice again with a tie-in to the new season of the cartoon? Well, the thing is, though, if you're you're getting these Ink and Zoom graphic novels, do you need the individual floppies? I think with your younger readers, you want that bookstore market. 
That is a valid point. I mean, those are the the chief demo for that. I think I'm curious to see where that YA and younger reader stuff evolves, especially as we're seeing more of it and in weird places. Are you referring to Marvel outsourcing their kids' books to IDW? Marvel outsourcing their kids' books to IDW and Dark Horse. Dark Horse is doing Frozen and... Mm -hmm. They just did The Incredibles. The Incredibles, and I think they've got another one coming up, too. I'm shocked that after Disney's purchase of Marvel, that so much of the Disney properties are elsewhere at Boom and IDW and Dark Horse. I would think you would want to concentrate them. I mean, all right, so if Marvel decides that, you know, young reader stuff just isn't their bag, fine. I feel like you're leaving money on the table, but maybe you're just being smart about your resources. Multi-billion dollar corporation. You know, if you... But that said, you've already got your young reader Star Wars stuff coming out through IDW. You're farming out your young reader Marvel stuff to IDW. DuckTales already being published through IDW. Why go to Dark Horse? Although, if you're Dark Horse and somebody gives you a license after you've lost Conan and Firefly and Star Wars... And it, it's coming with Buffy. I mean, they're the current uh, Buffy season 12, as opposed to you know 12 or longer is a four issue mini with only two issues left and it really feels like them wrapping up their era of Buffy well they're gonna reboot it I mean mm-hmm. and they're keeping Dr. Horrible though yeah that's weird yeah but that's just a one shot yeah it's it's strange there's something else that has popped out of my head it will come back to me at a later point I'm sure that's okay um but oh now it popped right back into my head um and I will say I've read a couple of Marvel's current attempts at all-ages stuff, and the current Marvel superheroes line, which is geared for the, you know, probably five to eight range, is real didactic, very, you know... Here's the moral. It feels like an 80s cartoon where you get to the end and knowing is half the battle. But without Roadblock? Yes. <laughs> and the Marvel Rising, which is the tween stuff, yeah. that, the singles there absolutely feel like they are feeding into a trade. That that's what they, they want to do them as OGNs. Mm-hmm. Because I they, they did a freebie that I read, and then I was like, Oh wow! You got a Squirrel Girl, Ms. Marvel, co-written by G. Willow Wilson and by uh, Ryan North. Sign me up. Four ninety nine standard sized floppy. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You working in a comic shop? Those younger readers' books they do. Parents don't care too much, but. There is more of a cost point there because most of these kids don't have their own money. They, yeah. For those those young readers, you want the parents to come in when they see that they can get, you know, a square bound something for nine ninety nine or a thirty two maybe forty eight page floppy for four ninety nine. Mm-hmm. You're not gonna get that buy. These are these clearly feel like they're feeding a trade. Yeah, I mean, as most floppies do. Oh, true, but. I think they're forgetting younger readers' books are great as floppies. As opposed to your standard, normal, monthly comic, where you've got a selling cycle of four weeks mm-hmm. tops. Yeah. May, usually, if you haven't sold it in the first two, unless something causes that book to kick some interest, you've sold most of what you're going to sell in two issues or two weeks. Your kids' books are evergreen. They go on the rack, and sooner or later, parents or grandparents are going to come in, and they're just going to want to buy a handful of comics to send to the kids in summer camp or as stocking stuffers. So you'd think that that would mean you'd want to make those more accessible. I mean, I guess that really more affects the retailers than it does the publishers, and if you know anything about comic book retail, you know the publishers don't really care too much about 
the retail side, just what they can get the retailers to buy right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hence variant covers. So many variant covers. Yeah. But yeah. Um... Wow, that, that tangented off quickly from Teen Titans Go to the Movies. <laughs> yes, um, but going back to Teen Titans Go to the Movies, I mean, yeah, I want to see, there is a scene in a movie theater full of superheroes. I want to pause this and look at it and name everyone because it was everyone. I got most of them. There was one character I didn't recognize, but that's it. Everyone I saw, I recognized, but... And some of those wide shots where you've got, like, the back two rows. I was too busy looking at the first few rows. I mean, Amethyst Princess of Gemworld is in there. you got the blue and the gold. you got Jonah Hex. you got Swamp Thing. A lot of Swamp Thing. A lot of Swamp Thing. A lot of the Atom. A lot of the Atom. Well, you got Patton Oswalt to voice the Atom. So you're going to use the Atom. Yeah. A lot of Marvel gags. Yes. But more disturbing than that, Watchmen Easter eggs. Yeah. Wu-Tang is for the children, not so much Watchmen. Yeah, no. No, lots of... As Teen Titans Go does on the cartoon, the backgrounds are always full of posters and stuffed animals and things. Yeah. But there were some Watchmen posters. A lot of dark side... But there's a lot of dark side background shots in Teen Titans Go, I think. Well, then, there was also that dark, dark side plushie that just hangs out next to the couch. That is true. So dark side is part of Teen, Teen Titans Go. <laughs> I, I think my personal favorite was the... Apocalypse and brows <laughs> looked like a hairdresser. That was. I also liked the Laz R Us spa. <laughs> yes, that was a good one too. It was. It was definitely. I don't even know because I I don't even know how to put it because it's it was looking for a very specific adult demographic. This wasn't shooting for your sort of DreamWorks, Shrek, Hotel Pan- Pen- Pennsylvania, Hotel Transylvania. Uh, Wasn't that a Muppet Show bit? Yes, I might have been. <laughs> uh, but that, those sort of generic pop culture it was riff. It was feeding DC nerds yeah. while, it was, while it was feeding the children. Very much so. Yeah. Real DC nerd. Deep and, cuts. And maybe that's, like, the danger in trying... I mean, not that you shouldn't try to serve every audience, but it's kind of a side effect of serving every audience where you kind of get this, you know, mixed stew of, you know... Although there was an Animaniacs joke, and that was great. Yes. <laughs> I am looking forward to the possible return of Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain, and I'm hoping that that reference was in there to remind people that this is why you love those shows and we want to do more. So let's... As long as you can get back the original voice cast, I'm good on that. Um, now, traditionally, in the kids' stuff, they haven't na- used Slade Wilson's uh, code name of Deathstroke. I thought this was going to break that. Apparently not. Yeah, I was kind of surprised. I thought it was... Especially, they kept saying Deadpool. You'd think, you know, Deadpool... I'm Deathstroke. No, no, man, you're Deadpool. I, I thought it would have been it would have been a good mirror joke, yeah. but they just didn't run with it. Um, Jade Wilson. I know Slate has kids. Jade is not one of them. Okay. It, they've his one female offspring is Rose, who has popped up on the cartoon once or twice. Okay. And they have this weird thing with her and Raven. Very actively flirting. Yeah, mm, like okay. I, I it was. There was an episode with them on, and Amber, my wife, walks mm. in and she's like, "So is Raven always gay, or is it just with her?" And I was like, "I think it's just with her, but it's it's this real, you know, Kitty Pride and Ilyana uh, or Rachel <laughs> subtext, like right below the surface. That is text. Yes, yes." Well, good. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, there's no... I mean, it's uh, Rose, Joe, and Grant are his kids. So, Ravager, Jericho, and other Ravager. Okay. Because I thought there was, like, a boy Wilson on one of the Arrowverse shows. 
Uh, was there an episode of Legends where they went into like the future of Star City or something? Yeah, like that? and I think it's they've kind of been messy with Wilson's kids on there because I think they he's named Joe, which is Jericho, but he's acting more like Grant or maybe he was Grant. I. There was a whole thing with it in Arrow this season, and sadly, it was not terribly memorable. It was another kind of, well, we're, we're going to use Deathstroke for a little bit, but he could be taken away from us at any moment by Joe Manganiello in the movies, so we don't want to do too much with him and make him too integral. They have gone so far back and forth on whether they can use Deathstroke in the TV shows. Oh, Deathstroke and the Suicide Squad. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just... They were such an integral part of Arrow the first couple of seasons. And I was like, yeah, nope, sorry. Deathstroke now gets a few cameos. And Suicide Squad, we're going to kill them all and Amanda Waller. Which is just 17 kinds of not right. But, you know... But it's okay. We've got a replacement. Uh, He is a stuffed talking bear's blue. His name is Bebo. (laughs) Bebo makes everything better. You're going to love him. (laughs) Oh, Legends. Somewhere along the way, Legends became the best of those series. It really did. Well, that and Black Lightning, but in such very different ways. Yeah. <laughs> and not, not a slam on the other shows, but Legends embracing its sheer wackiness. And Black Lightning just being really friggin' good. And well-acted and wearing its social conscience on its sleeve without beating people over the head with it and making it making it organic to the universe mm-hmm. works so well for that show. And, yeah, Legends just... It, it had Bebo, and it had John Noble as the voice of a demon, and John, anything's better with John Noble. And uh, Snort uh, giving no. grief counseling to puppets. Also <laughs> that. Also and especially that. Yes, yes. Snart also improves everything around him. I loved, they did with Snort, basically, you know, you don't need to take like a heel in pro wrestling that is so beloved that they just eventually make him a face. It's, it is exactly what they did with Snart. Yes. And Rory to a degree. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. I, 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 I like that Rory, what was it, was he writing a romance novel? Yes. Yes. That was delightful. It, it, they've taken a character that could very easily have been one note and have given him this real rich life, which they didn't do with every character on Legends. Hawk people! Um, I'm sorry. I, that, I, I coughed when I was saying hawk people. Um. When you welcome the hawks into your franchise, you are walking a very fine line. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying every iteration or every use of the Hawks is bad. I have heard excellent things about Robert Venditti's uh, and Brian Hitch's current series for DC. Thumbs up on that book. Yeah. Solid book. But there's also been lots of bad Hawks. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm someone who, back in the days before Google, yes, they existed, I was someone that, at the comic book shop I worked at, there was a whole running joke where... When someone would come in and ask some sort of obscure comic book question, it would be, Matt can answer that question, and he can tell you the whole history of Hawkman, too. <laughs> because that made zero sense. I mean, and there, the Tim Truman, Hawkworld, and then the Ostrander run right after that was, mm. was good Hawk stuff. And then the no fault to the the second because that was Hawk World then became Hawk Man it was initially Ostrander and then John Francis Moore no fault to them but that was when DC was kind of like okay we need you to kind of just put all these Hawk people together and we're gonna do this whole Hawk God thing and it it didn't work too well and Jeff Johns did the the bait and switch which was the hey you know Francis being like we want Hawk Man he's like oh my God look over there they looked they're like hey guys look Hawk Man's back. Hey, it's just like Teen Titans go to the movies. <laughs> exactly. Mind manipulation. I, and Johns and then uh, James Robinson and Jimmy Palmiotti and I think it was Palmiotti and Gray who did that series after that did a, uh, some solid work but it was just DC really wants to find a way to make Hawkman work and it's like fetch. You just can't make it happen. <laughs> 
I mean, I want it to work, and I think Venditti's and Hitch's series so far has done a really good job, and I think we could get a sustainable Hawkman out of this version. But we'll have to see, because I've had my hope in a, a solid Hawkman series dashed before. I'm not even that big a fan of Hawkman, but somehow I just but somehow keep, you have hopes for him? Yeah, I just keep, you know, he's the underdog. He's that character that it's like... You know, he's going to make it this time. Come on, old Gil's going to do it. And he never does. Uh, you know, Matt's been writing uh, character sort of reading guides for uh, for WFQComics.com. He just did Rogue and Gambit last week. Maybe there's a Hawkman one in your future. You know, there might be. <laughs> uh, I could definitely come up with four good Hawkman stories. I'd have to do some time digging through my collection and sorting my collection and that that's it's gonna happen one of these days i've been saying that for four years (laughs) since i bought a house i still haven't done it there is a room in this house that is nothing but long boxes and i have not been allowed to see it (laughs) it until see now here's this is i i doubt anyone is going to be surprised that i'm a giant nerd and one of the reasons why my wife and I bought this house was because we have a nice detached garage that I am going to, and again, I've been saying this for years, but now I just have decided I'm never going to do it myself, so I'm going to hire someone to put up insulation and drywall and various security features, and I'm going to put up big racks, and I'm going to have my entire collection accessible. And once I've done that, Oh, the things I'll be able to write. Because I will have access to 30,000 comics. Only about half of which feature Batman. Okay, maybe two-thirds. Speaking of Batman. Because you are uh, my foremost Bat expert. um, How have you been enjoying the current uh, events in Batman's life? We are about a month out from the wedding that wasn't. I... I loved that issue. I, th- I went into this run on Batman proper mm-hmm. a little nervous. Scott Snyder's run in the New 52 era was the highlight of the New 52 era to me. Certainly. I think it was the best book that came out of that whole thing. And Tom King, at that point, I mean, he had finished Vision... Or Vision was wrapping. Yeah, it was fifteen, sixteen, and the fifth. Yeah, it, it was probably it was probably like wrapping. There may have been some overlap. Yeah, I mean, so he had some positive buzz from that. Some positive buzz from Omega Men. Omega Men and Sheriff of Babylon. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't anyone I had read a ton by. Oh, he did uh, Grayson too for a little bit. Yes, yes, he did. And the Grace Grayson stuff was solid. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was kind of like. They were giving the keys to the kingdom to someone who this was their first real prestige project. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, James Tinian, whose stuff I had read, various things he had done, was given Detective and was featuring Tim Drake. And all of those Bat characters from my heyday of Bat books. And that was a book I was real excited for. And I was right to be, as it was excellent. And that first arc, I Am Gotham, was big and widescreen, and it was not what I was expecting. Okay. And so I was like, okay, this isn't bad, but this is just sort of like, okay, Batman fighting a a Superman analog again. There's some, you know, psychology with Hugo Strange, but... And then we got to I Am Suicide, and that was really interesting. And then there was a two-parter. Oh, there was also the Monster Men crossover in, in Bat Books. Detective, in there. yeah. Right. But, but then there was, I believe it was a two-parter called Rooftops. It was either a one or a two-parter. That it was, was a two-parter. Bruce and Selina. Yeah. And th- I read those and everything clicked. That was when I was like, this is a great run. Mm-hmm. And... From then, the ball was just rolling. 
And do I necessarily believe that a happy Batman can't be Batman? No. I'm not necessarily sure Tom King believes that either. I want to see where he's going with the back 50 of his 100-issue story. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was a it was handled in a really good way. And I think issue 51, which gives us the reaction not just of Batman, but of Bruce Wayne to everything that is going on, mm-hmm. is showing us that this is really affecting Bruce. And I want to see where it goes. We don't know much aside from there's this arc and then... He's bringing back the Beast, the KGB Beast. beast. Yeah. beast. yeah, not not Hank McCoy. Although my feeling, current feelings about Hank McCoy remain that I kind of wish Batman would punch him in the head a few times and maybe make him a happy character again. I kind of like that... Uh, yeah, we're tangenting. I, I like that that's the angle that Rosenberg is taking in Astonishing X-Men with Beast and with Havoc and kind of just collecting these... Come on! Nobody likes me right now! Nobody likes you right now! People like me. No, Hank, not really. No. No one likes you, Hank. I think... Yeah. I, I, I'm very curious where that book is going. Honestly, I think all of the Bat books right now are real solid. Mm-hmm. I think Brian Hill's Detective, so far, only a couple issues in. I mean, it seems to be just an arc because Tomasi... Oh, it's Tomasi. It's, I think it's Tomasi who's taking over later in the year. Yeah, I, I feel like there's a James Robinson arc in there. Yes, there is a James is, Robinson. He is apparently arc. the guy they call in to fill in uh, on arcs now. Yeah, and he, I mean it's a two face arc, and he mm-hmm. wrote a great two. The first Bat arc right out of one year later, out of Infinite Crisis, mm-hmm. was face to face. It was a two face story that he did a really good job on. I. I might be a James Robinson apologist. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, some of his recent... I mean, his Wonder Woman was okay. Yeah. And he's written some stuff in recent years that has been only okay, but I still... His the Legends of the Dark Knight arcs he did, Starman... Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought Airboy was great, too. Yeah. I think he's got... He's still a really solid writer, and I'm looking forward to seeing him write some Batman again, but I think that is just a fill-in... Because I'm fairly sure they said at San Diego that Tomasi was taking over in the run-up to Detective 1000. Mm. And I mean, Tomasi's uh, Batman and Robin was excellent. Another one of the highlights of the New 52. Mm-hmm. I thought his... The work he did rehabilitating Damien to a degree and making him a character that you didn't want to just slap upside the head every third page... <laughs> It was still is still excellent work, and I'm curious to see what he does if he continues to make Detective this sort of Batman family book, or if he does something completely different with it. I mean, Damien right now, I mean, he's got Super Sons and he's got Teen Titans, and they're taking him down a dark path in Teen Titans. Oh, are they? The new, the first issue from the new creative team mm-hmm. aside from a special that followed up on yeah. some of the you No know, Justice stuff mm-hmm. came out this week and I was a little leery I mean, Adam Glass who is writing it the biggest thing on his resume is the New 52 Suicide Squad oh, which okay. is not as fondly looked upon as Batman or Batman and Robin out of the New 52 and it has Lobo's daughter and Lobo is not one of my top ten characters of all time. But I'm curious to see where he takes Damien. And if he's going to really bring him down this dark path. A dark but non-homicidal path. Which is what I was a little worried about. Okay. Because it it's very easy to... It could be very easy for a writer to just be like... Yeah, Damien just decided to go back to killing everybody. Mm-hmm. And we're just going to do that. But they've spent so many years, the writers and creators at DC, making Damien not a murderous little punk, that it would be very lazy to just have Damien decide to start killing everybody. Sure. But, yeah, I mean, it's the only... 
Batman Detective Nightwing? Oh, Nightwing. Yeah. Nightwing has been solid. I've been hearing good things about the new, uh, the current uh, Percy Mooneyham. Uh, yeah, like. yeah. It took me a second, but I mean, I'm a big fan of Mooneyham stuff from back when he was doing uh, Five Ghosts with Franco Barbieri at Image, Frank Barbieri at Image, and he has a real nice style. And I like Ben Percy. I thought his Titans, his Green Arrow was excellent. The Wolverine podcast that he wrote. The Marvel oh, Long, Long Night, Night mm-hmm. that he did the script for were great. And it really is a nice, darker sort of... I'm not even sure what... I, I want to say tech folks. Cause that was, I think the first arc was very paranoid, modern, they're all listening to us sort mm-hmm. of vibe. Mm-hmm. Which is perfectly apt... <laughs> I mean, Batwoman is rapping, but has been good. Yeah. Batgirl is getting a new creative team, or new creative team just started. I think they just started. May Reed Scott and uh, I'm, not, I'm, I'm don't trying know to remember the if they did the if that was the most recent issue or if that's starting this month. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Batgirl has been solid since. I mean, the Hope Larson stuff was good. Mm-hmm. I still am waiting for my Tim Drake book again, but you know, we'll we'll. We'll get there when we get there. <laughs> the first issue of Joel Jones's Catwoman was great and gorgeous. She, I mean, she's phenomenal. She's a phenomenal fan of talent. Her work and Laura Allred coloring her oh. is rock. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think the Bat books remain in a really strong place right now. My only concern is how long they can continue the dance leading up to the events of Doomsday Clock since Batman is so integral to that yeah, and we're getting hints of the public dissatisfaction with Batman in Detective very specifically and I'm not I'm sitting back and I'm reading it's like is this the story Brian Hill came in with to begin with or was this so we have this thing that we're building towards Hey, Brian Hill, do you want to maybe write this story and work some of this stuff into it? I have, in all fairness to say, I've not read this week's new issue of Detective yet. I've been, I'm behind. I Hopefully we'll get to it tonight. But I feel like I'm worried that we're going to enter a holding pattern or that we're going to get to this point where Doomsday Clock becomes... I don't know what... I I have I have feelings about Doomsday Clock. I actually I joked on Twitter this week because issue number six came out. This was the first time I didn't buy it. I have dropped Doomsday Clock because I have not been enjoying it, and I know that I was only buying it out of morbid curiosity. That's kind of how I'm reading it. I mean, I like the DC universe as big and larger than life and bright. Kurt Busiek and George Perez's JLA Avengers did this great thing where the Justice League wind up in the Marvel Universe and the Avengers wind up in the DC Universe. And the Justice League reacts to the Marvel Universe in this, how did, how did these people have superheroes and they let the world become like this? Mm-hmm. And the Marvel heroes in the DC Universe are like, there's no way a world could be like this. They have to be basically jackbooted stormtroopers who are controlling this world to make it, to make them be this beloved. Mm-hmm. And in making the DC universe darker in the way Doomsday Clock is and grounding it in this quote-unquote reality, it feels like it's taking away part of what makes the DC universe special. Yeah. And, I mean, you can turn that around. I mean, I think we were talking about this once before, and I said it then, and I'm going to kind of say it now in a much more public forum. Doomsday Clock, in a lot of ways, feels like Jeff Johns hitting a bunch of his greatest hits one more time. Makes sense. That, very specifically, Doomsday Clock is Infinite Crisis. 
just it's the Watchmen characters instead of the characters from Crisis on Infinite Earths. Sort of these characters looking at the DC universe from outside and then screwing it around. And it's not a story that necessarily appeals to me. I I, I still love Jeff Johns. I still I'm looking forward to his Shazam. I'm really kind of curious about three jokers i feel like and and maybe i don't have a right you know i've i've said before you know my first-hand experience with dc only goes back a a couple years now i feel like doomsday clock has soured me on john's you know like when uh at comic-con when they announced oh he's writing a new shazam i'm just like well i'm not excited for that you know, and, and not in the face of like, oh, G. Willow Wilson's taking over Wonder Woman. That's, That's awesome. awesome. Kelly Sue DeConnick's taking over Aquaman. That's awesome. <laughs> and, and and Jeff Johns is doing Shazam. That's predictable. It, I mean, this is a book that's been promised for four, three, four, maybe longer years since he was writing Shazam and Justice League. I, I think that Johns has so many irons in the fire yeah. that I'm not sure that his comic stuff gets his full focus or enough of his focus. Well, wasn't that part of the point of him stepping down as chief creative officer, starting his own production company, and then coming back to DC, and then sort of reestablishing himself with DC as a private contractor? Yeah, that's... To allow him to do whatever writing, producing he wants? It seems to be. I'm... I, I don't know because I mean I have a long history with Johns. Sure. I've read probably ninety plus percent of everything Johns has ever written at DC, and probably most of what he's written at Marvel because there wasn't that much. There was an Avengers run, an Avengers and run. a Vision miniseries, and I think that I forgot about that Vision miniseries. Might have been it. It was recently traded. I saw the trade recently, and Chuck Johns write Avengers before or after? I think it was before Chuck Austin. I think it was right before. I think it was John's, and then it was Austin, and then it was Disassembled. Yes, I think you are correct, sir. <laughs> Chuck Austin broke the Avengers, guys. <laughs> yes, he did. I mean, that Avengers one was great. I mean, uh, Oliver Coipel, early, I think mm-hmm. early Coipel, mm-hmm. and Scott Collins came in there, who's one of John's regular collaborators. Yeah. Uh, I, so I have more, more to go back and be like, Ah, I remember Flash and JSA and Stars and Stripe Mm -hmm. and Teen Titans. And I am more than willing to admit there are problems. The number of severed limbs across those comics, you could use them to assemble probably two or three new superheroes. (laughs) But there is still a winsome sort of Silver Age nostalgia that comes through, especially in his Green Lantern. Sure. Uh... And his Barry Allen flash. I, I guess I will still... I still do hold the grudge that he's the guy really responsible for losing Wally as the Flash and bringing back Barry. And I've come to appreciate Barry Allen more in recent years, but Wally West is still my Flash. And, and here's the thing. Replacing Mark Wade with with Jeff Johns and saying that Jeff Johns has a Silver Age nostalgia is not a selling point because you're just replacing one form of Silver Age nostalgia yes. with another. Very true. I, I, I'm, I, I am very glad that he... I guess I can also say that, let's be fair, he also did just bring Wally back in Rebirth, that mm-hmm. he wrote that story. Yes. And Joshua Williamson has been doing some great stuff. And Dan Abnett, too, over in Titans. I don't think Titans got the the spotlight at all. It was sort of the one of the quiet rebirth books. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was really an enjoyable book and I liked seeing all of those Titans, those classic Titans characters together again. But I'm curious to see where Tom King takes him in Heroes in Crisis. I am very much looking forward to Heroes in Crisis. I think it will ease my pain. Uh, with Mr. Miracle ending soon, especially because Mitch Garrods is going to be drawing some standalone parts of Heroes in Crisis. Um, I very much appreciate that on the cover of the first issue, off to the side, there is Kite Man. Hell yeah. yes. <laughs> I, I'm... 
And it looks like Harley and Booster are going to be major characters. Yeah, Harley, Booster, and judging by the new the end of this week's issue of The Flash, no spoilers beyond it says, follow Wally West in Heroes in Crisis. Interesting. So, so is that a, that's a result of uh, Flash War then, probably? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I won't say more. I don't want to yeah, spoil no, anything for anyone, but... <laughs> I mean, I know there was some in various places that were a little worried that Heroes in Crisis read, like, Identity Crisis Redo, and I don't think it is. I think King is bringing a real look at what it would be like to be traumatized that Identity Crisis didn't really do. Identity Crisis... You know, took that. I mean, there was trauma. Oh, there was trauma. Especially if you're Ralph Dibney. Oh, oh, Ralph. Oh, Ralph. But it was not an investigation of that trauma. Well, no, really more if you were Sue Dibney. Let's not. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I, I didn't need to bring that up. <laughs> oh. oh, the Dibneys. I want, I want the Dibneys back. I, come on. They were back in Secret Six, and it was good, and I want to see them again. Ralph is, is in Flash. Come on. Introduce Sue on the Flash, and let's get a, a Ralph and Sue miniseries. Is, is he coming back next season? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. It wasn't... He was added, I believe, as a recurring I'm cast so member. I'm so used to, like, the extra cast member always going away at the end, a la Tom Felton and... Uh, John um, Wesley Ship? Gar- yeah, and John Wesley Ship and Jay Garrick and um, uh, the other Amel. Firestorm, original oh Firestorm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that yeah. It 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 would be it would have been easy for him to just sort of wander away. Yeah, but it looks like he's going to be back, and I'm looking forward. I'm hoping that we get more Ralph as detective versus Ralph as sassy sidekick. Yeah, uh, but. He was in the background. He'd go to the movie too. There was some Ralph Dibney. Yes, there was some elongated man. I mean, I'm a I'm a long time fan of the Dibneys, and that's James Robinson's fault because he used them in Starman towards the end of Starman. But there and then, reading back issues of the Bwahaha era Justice League Europe, where Ralph and Sue were there, and a just a, there was a, an essential elongated man that was all the shorts from the back of Flash and Detective Comics hmm. that I read that was. I really developed this real affection for Ralph and Sue as the Nick and Nora Charles of the DC universe. And I love that that sassy married couple dynamic. You love that aesthetic overall. You're also a big fan of Thrilling Adventure Hour. Oh, Frank and Sadie Doyle. (laughs) Toast of the Upper Crust. Headliners in the Society pages. And they see ghosts. Have you read um, Boone Just Started That New? Oh, yes. I, I... Picked up the trade of the image stuff because it was the first time in print the final issue made it in print. Oh, okay. It ended, it was a four issue mini and it, only three of them were published and the fourth was released digitally only. That's weird. Yeah, there was, I'm not sure what happened there, mm-hmm. but uh, I wound up reading the digital copy, but it was $1.99, I wasn't going to pass that up. But I read the first issue and I really liked it. I mean, it's, it's, it's thrilling adventure hour. I will go for anything Acker and Blacker and especially anything thrilling adventure. They did... The, the art on this... I mean, the art in the original miniseries was Phil Hester. So mm. it had a nice... He, he does a does a great monster. So there were some great monsters. But this one is more of a, a spooky haunted house thing. Yeah. And I can't remember who the artist is. M.J. Erickson. Yes. But it was it was a much lighter style. And it works for the Doyles. Because they, they just... I will absolutely plug Thrilling Adventure Hour. There aren't new episodes, but the entire catalog is available on your podcatcher of choice. And it is worth all of the hours. Any of the different Thrilling Adventure subseries, because for those of you who are realizing I'm talking about Thrilling Adventure Hour, and many of you might not know what I'm talking about, Thrilling Adventure Hour was a podcast in the style of old-time radio where it was a live stage show with three segments, and they would record each three segments and then release them one a week. And the opening was always Sparks, Nevada, Marshall on Mars. It was a, a mashup of your Western and your sci-fi, um, with Sparks, Nevada, voiced by Mark Evan Jackson, who you might know from either Parks and Rec or Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Um, the middle segment was always something different. There was... 
five or six smaller series. And then at the end was Beyond Belief, which was the Doyles, who are married mediums, who they fight ghosts and just really want to spend their days drinking and enjoying each other's company. And they were voiced by the excellent stand-up comic Paul F. Tompkins and Paget Brewster of, I believe, Criminal Minds, but is... And Community Season 6. And Community Season 6, and is the girl who nearly broke up Chandler and Joey on Friends. Wow. Yeah, deep cut. That, that, is, that is a deep cut. Yep, but that was her. She's the one who made Chandler sit in a box. Was that like a Thanksgiving thing? Yes. Yes, it was. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah, I, I, so, I remember when I first started listening to Throwing Adventure, I tracked down various things from the various people. I remember rewatching those friends and being like, oh wow, she was so young. Not that she's not young, old, but it's like, wow, I, I would not have placed her again now. Yeah. But it is probably my favorite podcast of all time. And I've been thinking about going back and doing a re-listen from the beginning once I've caught up on some of my current podcasts. And for also those other podcast aficionados out there, if you don't know it, it has also did have a crossover with Welcome to Night Vale, another wonderfully bizarre podcast that is basically news from Lake Wobegon meets Stephen King. It's delightfully weird. Hmm. Um... Pulling it back. Yes. Back to back to <laughs> comics, off as the we, tangent. As we go. No, no, no. That was comics related. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, back to uh, Batman. Yes. Uh, you know, we were talking about sort of uh, the CW shows for a little bit and, cer- and certainly the glut of Jeff Johns projects. Uh, Batwoman getting Batwoman. her own show. Thoughts? Have, have, is it too many shows now or are you just excited because you're a fan of, of, of Batwoman? I am excited because I'm a fan of Batwoman. I... I'm really hoping that this might be them realizing that we are at a point where summer reruns don't work anymore, Mm. and we might start seeing a full year calendar, and either one of these shows, maybe it's new show Batwoman, or maybe one of the other, gets shifted, so it either starts or it back halves June into July, or July into August. I think you can have another superhero show as long as you're not running superhero shows to the detriment of everything else. If you're not if you're not doing six 22 episode seasons but sort of, sort of running them in cycles. It's basically the Netflix method. Yes. You know, you're going to if you're going to do like 13 episode series like uh, this this summer, we weren't devoid of superhero TV because we had Legion and we had Luke Cage season 2. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't think either of us watched it, but there was Cloak and Dagger, too. Oh, yeah, Cloak and Dagger. Yeah, which was... I, I Maybe we'll get around to it. It's on Hulu, but... I just... I've, I've become so bad at watching oh. TV. It's, like, it like real... Unless, like, my wife's going to watch it with me, like, I just, yeah. I'm not sitting down to watch it myself. I think, like, Flash, which was was the last show that I, like, sat down and watched myself. There are a handful of shows I watch by myself at this point uh, Supernatural I will say that it is nice that we're getting Batwoman to fill the the void that Supernatural uh, spin-off Wayward Sisters which is going to be the all all the female characters who have survived Supernatural we're going to be in that didn't get picked up so that uh-huh. the CW will have another female driven series especially with uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and Jane the Virgin mm-hmm. both ending this season. Oh, okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I've watched only the pilot of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, but Jane the Virgin is one of my favorite shows on television. It, it, it reminds me how much soap operas and comic books really have in common. Oh, sure, yeah. And it, it is delightful, but CW is losing a lot of its female-led series, mm-hmm. so this Charmed reboot and Batwoman are kind of filling some of that void. My real question about Batwoman, is it going to be a Supergirl where it's like, oh sure, there's Batman, but he's not around? Or is it going to be just, here's Batwoman. We're not going to have Batman. We're not going to have the the explanation that she had to have been inspired by Batman and she's just Batwoman. That's an excellent question. I mean, it's not like Gotham doesn't exist in that wor- world of DC. Right. 
what we're calling it now. Yeah. I mean, it it's been na- Bruce Wayne has been name dropped in Arrow. Yeah, and while they've never actually name dropped Batman on Supergirl, there have been more than one line that was clearly Kara making some reference to a f- someone her brother, her cousin, brother, yeah, her cousin works with that is so obviously a Batman reference. Well, the first the first episode where they used Tyler Hecklin as as Superman, I think somebody said like the, you know whatever there's there's an alien attack or whatever, and somebody's on a phone is like, oh, I shouldn't have moved from Gotham. Yes, yes, and there's. When uh, Guardian first shows up, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure Carr says, you know, my cousins worked with a vigilante and yeah. something like that. So it's mm-hmm. very clearly a Batman reference. But we don't know which Earth Batwoman is going to be. Is it going to be Earth 1? Is it going to be Earth... whatever Earth Supergirl is? I can't remember its number. Yeah, I can't either. Uh, it doesn't matter. Is it going to be its own Earth? I'm curious to see that. I'm also kind of curious to see how much of Batwoman's somewhat bizarre and complex mythology they're going to go into. Are they going to bring in her corrupted twin sister and all that? Or are they just going to be like, and here's Batwoman, and she's a vigilante, and this is her thing, and we're not going to go into weird cults that take her sister and make her a yet another Gotham Wonderland-themed villain. I see them going that way because they don't have to worry about char- you know, that character being used in a Batman cinematic project, although if everything is in its own universe depending on the project, then I, these rules shouldn't even apply anymore, yeah. but I'm sure they do. Yeah, I mean, uh, you could use Al- Alice and mm-hmm. uh, Kyle Abbott and Whisperer Dare. I would you uh, use, if you put it on Supergirl's Earth, you can use Maggie Sawyer. Yes, that would be great. This could be a chance to get the question, be it either Renee, the Renee or Vic. Montoya question. I would, I would prefer it to be Renee, but I would, I would love to see any that, question. That's a Gotham. Pro- that's a Gotham problem, though. Oh yeah, yeah. Although Gotham doesn't. No. Gotham plays by. Speaking of, <laughs> yeah. uh, of properties that play by its own rules, Gotham does absolutely play by its own wonderfully batshit crazy rules. <laughs> But those characters, I think those would be great characters to use. I would love for them to bring in Julia Pennyworth, who has been uh, Kate's major domo right hand in the current Batwoman series. You don't have to, you know, you call her Julia something else and give some kind of hint of who her father is. But it would be nice to have her have some of those supporting characters from the comics. Mm Mm-hmm. But Batwoman is a character who the the recent run has done a better job than the New 52 run of recapturing what Greg Rucka was going for in the original Detective Comics stuff. Okay. And I'm hoping that the ending of this series, we don't lose Kate as a character for a while and she doesn't kind of disappear into limbo. Is she still in Detective? She's not been in the past few issues, but again, Mm -hmm. Hill's Run... Hill's Run has been focusing on uh, Cassandra Cain bringing in Black Lightning and uh, Duke Thomas, who disappeared from from, uh, Tom King's run because he was there in the beginning and then was kind of like... And Duke's getting... Duke, there's Metal, and Duke's getting his own miniseries, and now we don't know where to put Duke. And he's been in Detective. And so it seems like at the end of the the Tinian run, Tim Drake and uh, Stephanie Brown went off to investigate the changes in the timeline. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cassandra Kane is still there. Clayface disappeared with his doctor hopefully to you know wander the roads with sad music playing as he tries to thumb a ride <laughs> uh Azrael is going to be popping up in Justice League Odyssey whenever right. that comes out that got pushed back right? pushed back twice now that's okay it's worth the wait yeah oh yeah it's definitely gonna be worth the wait I'm excited for it um but yeah uh that's Azrael Batwing no sign of Batwing yet but I'm sure he'll come back. I I really like the Luke Fox Batwing, mm-hmm. and I 
I'm hoping that we see more of that character. I thought he was a great choice to bring in when Tim was quote-unquote dead as a sort of tech guy for that book. Mm -hmm. And does a good job of increasing the diversity in those books. I kind of hope it's like, okay, we got Black Lightning now, so we don't need the other, you know, African-American bat character. It's like, no, they, they, I want them to all coexist. It, it would work fine to have Luke in that book or in another book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was just trying to think. It's like, no, I don't think he's popped up anywhere. And, yeah, it, but there's... There's so many bat titles. There's room for every bat character in one of these innumerable bat titles. There is room for every version of Clayface. <laughs> Dang right! <laughs> and I think that's a good point to leave on. Uh, Matt, thank you for uh, coming on the show. Anytime. Once again. That's it for this week's show. As always, you can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and at WMQComics.com, where new episodes move Monday mornings. You can support WMQ&A and WMQComics.com at Patreon.com slash WMQComics. You can follow WMQComics on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote. Finally, check out WMQComics.com for all your comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and plain old views, and we'll see you next time. WMQA!